Lord, that's the expression of our heart this morning. And we just ask you now to speak to us from the Word in Jesus' name for His sake. Amen. There's so many things I want us to be able to do on Sunday mornings, but uh, time. The agony of transition. I simply have to refer to you again. And you know, I feel desperately sorry for those of you who come just on Sunday mornings because on Sunday mornings I get warmed up and on Sunday nights I'm on fire. And I, I get you back to where I was the week before and, you, you, you know, I look at the time, well, i got to let them go because, you know. So I encourage you, make Sunday night part of your worship program. Will you do that? I know that it means turning off the TV and it means putting on good clothes again. and not, not good, but I mean, you know, getting out of your shorts and tennis shoes and this sort of thing. But it's worth it. Not because I'm preaching, but it's worth it to you. You don't have to do it, but it's like the children of Israel. God gave them the desires of their heart, but he sent leanness to their soul. And it's impossible. I'm going to say it just that boldly. It's absolutely impossible for you to live a spiritual Christian walk on one service a week of fellowship with God's people. You say, but I study my Bible at home. That's fine. If you study it, read where it says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Now, I'm not chastening you, not getting after you. I'm just encouraging you to see that the Lord's Day is for God's people to get together as much as you possibly can. I know it's impossible for some people to do it because they work and so forth. But if you don't, that in itself is a testimony that you found with God's people on the Lord's Day. So I encourage you to come. The agony of transition, basically I've been trying to explain to, the, to you as a body that God has a, an eternal plan, an eternal program, and he doesn't change. And in order to fit into God's eternal plan and program, who has to change? All three of you. Who has to change if God doesn't? We do, right. And the, the plan or the program that we find God has laid down through the eternity is a corporate unity of born-again, repentant, spiritually alive people called the children of God, the people of God, to bring them into a oneness and a unity. Jesus said that they might be one, that the world might believe that the Father sent me. Now, that's where God's going. Whether we're going there or not, God's going there. As I told you, the agony that this pastor felt the other day, he said, Pastor, I feel so badly when I talked to him the other day, one of the pastors in the area, feel so badly you've offered so many opportunities for us to get together as a fellowship. And he said, my wife and I would be there in a minute. But would pray for us. We're trying to get our people to begin to see that you can't have feelings between churches and this pressure between churches. We're all one. Well, you see, that church is either going to learn that or God's going to pass them by. Because it's God's eternal program that we be one that the world might believe that Jesus was sent of the Father. And with this truth and with this understanding, many churches just go on business as usual. They set up their assembly line program where they have rules and regulations. If you do this, this, and this, you're a member of the church. And then once you get into a membership, you can't get out of the membership. But at least you got the security of that piece of paper that isn't fireproof and so on and so forth. That's one way to go. The other route is spiritual adaptability and adoptability to where we are, we are flexible before the Lord. And God says he's going to keep us flexible one way or the other. And the flexibility that has to come to the body in this day and age, I believe, is moving from the, uh, the sense or the attitude of me to us. Not just me and my wife and John and his wife, us four no more, but that we begin to see the body of Christ as Christ sees it, as God sees it. 
And we quit thinking of just this local, th- uh, local functioning of the body here to where we begin to embrace the body of Christ. I'm not talking about compromise now. I'm not talking about some super church, which is going to be the world church or the, the, uh, the false church when Jesus Christ comes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you're, how many of you know born-again believers that go to another church outside of these four walls? That's what I'm talking about. Now, can we fellowship with them and put our dog tags in our pocket and not tell them exactly what church we're from? How many of you have frustration when people ask you what church you go to? Huh? You have a problem there because the minute you tell them, they put you in a little box, a little little old box, don't they? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a terrible time with that, you know. I, I, yes, I'm pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, but let me explain. <laughs> we go through all of this because I don't want them to say, there, he's in that little box because I'm not in a box. In fact, if you put a box around me, I'll kick the slats out of it. I'm a born-again believer. I believe the Word of God is true, and I believe Jesus is coming for his own. And if I can get rid of the... I don't know. Everybody says when I talk about this afterwards, it's, what are we going to do with the sign out front? And I feel like saying, sit still, my brother, till thou seest how the matter shall lie. That's what the Word says. We'll see exactly what God's trying to say to us. I don't know what he's saying to us, but I do know this. And God's got a plan, and he's going to bring us together one way or another. And if we don't want to go along, he's going to pass by and says, all right, I'll find a people that will. Now, don't think he can't. He did it to Israel already. And they were the true branches of the tree. He's done it to many nations over in Europe already because they've gone past and they've let things fly. Now God is beginning a revival back in Europe. But he bypassed them and had to come to the United States. He's bypassing the United States, I'm afraid of, if we don't wake up and he's going to Indonesia and Korea and other countries and bringing revival, and they're starting to send missionaries all over the world. Now, don't think that God is Caucasian and an American citizen, and he can't bypass us, because I'll assure you, he can. I thank God that that's not true. If it were, I'd have a very narrow-minded God. And when the Word says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's not talking about you as an He is talking about you as an individual, but that word you in the Greek is plural. It means Christ in you as a body of believers, the hope of glory. We're connected. And that's what we talked about last week. This Christ being in us, the hope of glory, talks about not this vertical relationship with me and God. And you know, there's so many Christians that say, I don't have to go to church. I worship God in my own way, in my own place, in my own time. I don't need to go to church. I have that relationship up here. You know that song, Oh, it's just Jesus and me for each tomorrow. That's the thinking of the church today. Just Jesus and me. It isn't just Jesus and me. In fact, it's not going to be just Jesus and me if we don't begin to develop these horizontal relationships because it's displeasing to the Lord if we don't cause these others to come into order. And so I told you, God's going to start changing things. I talked about dumping Moab was on a, sitting on his lees, and God said it had never been dumped from one vessel to another to get all the sediment out of it, to get all the flesh as we want to apply it spiritually, get all the flesh out of us. God dumps us from one container to another, from a square to a round to a rectangle to whatever else. And we say, I don't like that. And one person said to me, he said, you know what, Pastor, ever since I've been saved, I feel all that God's been doing is dumping me. Well, thank God he, you're allowing him to dump you. I'll assure you, you don't have to be dumped, but God is moving, and if we don't move with him, we're going to just let the old sediment settle, and they're going to smell the old self-life in us. He's trying to get the self out of us. That's what I was talking about here a couple weeks ago. And that horizontal relationship that I'm talking about is very essential 
that we begin to consider what kind of an influence we have with one another. Romans, the 14th chapter. Very quickly, I want to read a few verses to you again. <clears throat> I want you to notice just how clearly Jesus and Paul all the way through here, talks about the importance of our relationship to one another. Jesus said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And he says, we're the city. We're the city. Ye are the light of the world, he said. Now he's talking about the body of Christ. And he wants us to shine so that the whole world can see that the Father sent the Lord Jesus into this world. And so if we're going to shine together, can you imagine about, there's about 700 denominations in the world today. And Jesus said that they might be one. And Satan's sitting back and just having himself a big laugh that they might be one. Can you imagine what would happen if people came to this church and they say, oh, man, I can't take that. I'm going to go down the street to this other church. And they get in the other church and they say, what's going on? He's preaching the same message. They say, I can't take that message. They go to another church and for long, all 700 denominations preaching the same message, you must be born again. You must yield your life to the totalness, total lordship of Jesus Christ. You've got to repent of your sins. And they go right down the line. Before long, these people say, I don't know what to do. I can't find a church where they tell me what I want to hear. I'm assuring you there will always be churches around that will tickle your ear if you want your ears tickled. But I'm believing the time is going to come, though, when people are going to have difficulty being able to jump from one church to another because some little thing doesn't, they didn't get along with it. I'll tell you one thing. Pastors are beginning to come together more. I've had the privilege the last seven or eight, nine weeks now, I guess it is, meeting with six pastors in the Sanford area. And we've just had the best time of fellowshipping and praising the Lord and sharing with one another and asking each other what they've got planned for the future and future programs and so forth and, and encouraging one another. What do you do in this situation? What about that? And uh, let's really pray for one another, this sort of thing. It's been beautiful. To where now, if somebody says, well, I was going to such and such a church and such and such, I just didn't get along there at all, I'm coming over here, I'd say, well, there must be something wrong with you then, because I know that brother, and he preaches the word, and I know where he stands with Jesus. You better get back in there and get straightened out and ask him for forgiveness. Whew! Can you imagine what happened in the church here? Did that start happening? The church in Denver, Colorado, where Beverly and I first ministered, we were three blocks up the street from, uh, forget what it was, Englewood First Baptist, Englewood Baptist Church, and ours was an interdenominational church, and we used to shift and trade goats all the time up and down the hill. We never lost a sheep, but goats would run up and down that hill all the time. From one church to the other. They'd get hurt down here, they'd run up there, get hurt up there, run down there. That's not going to happen after a while when the body starts coming together. The 13th verse of Romans 14. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man puts a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, thou walkest, now, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the works of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is, neither, it is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything else, whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak." 
Now, I want to go on from that into the 15th chapter, but I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15 out of the Living Bible again. He's saying here, and by the way, back in those days, the idols, the uh, false temples, or the, the uh, idol temple, temples of the idols, the gods that were being worshipped in the temples back in that day, had large areas where they had public banquet facilities where they could lie down on a couch and they'd serve them food and meat from the temple and fruit from the temple and so forth. And it was a very easy thing to go to banquets. And it's like many times today, people go to weddings and so forth and have large facilities for dining in, in the, what they would call fellowship hall. And Paul was saying here, there's nothing wrong with eating that meat and this sort of thing. But he said, if you go to that temple and do it and a weaker brother see you do it and through it, he stumbles and falls. He said, then you're going to have to answer to the Lord for that because you are your brother's keeper. You are responsible to God for your brother. And if doing any of these things causes a weaker brother to stumble or to be offended or to be weakened, in Corinthians he says, you're sinning against Christ if you do these things. And that's a devastating statement to have to face. You're sinning against Christ. If anything you and I do in our horizontal relationships in everyday life, if we're doing things that may not be wrong to us or offend us or we feel it's all right with God or it's all right with us, and in doing so, it still causes the weaker brother to stumble, to be offended, or to be weakened. He says, don't do it. It's not worth it. Anything. Now, let me just read it again out of the Living Bible, those first two verses of chapter 15 of Romans. Even if we believe that it makes no difference to the Lord whether we do these things, still we cannot just go ahead and do them to please ourselves. Did you hear that? When I first read that years ago in Bible college, that just about took me right over backwards out of my chair. Because I'd always heard some people say, my, I, I'm not, I've never, God doesn't convict me for that. I don't feel bad about that at all. I've prayed about it. There's nothing wrong with it. Doesn't hurt me. Paul says that's the last thing you consider. The first thing is what does it do to others? Yeah, but I enjoy it. I've always done it. Paul says that doesn't make any difference. What does it do to others? If it's right to you and right in the Lord's sight, then it isn't hurting you. If in doing so, it does hurt someone else. If you're strong enough to withstand all temptations around it, but it makes a weaker brother to stumble or makes him weaker or he's offended, what does he say to do? What does he say to do? Tell him, quit looking at me? Huh? He says, stop it, doesn't he? Don't do it. I've had people say, well, if I'm a stumbling block to them, tell them to look the other way. That's totally the opposite of what Jesus says our attitude ought to be. I'm not preaching Baptist doctrine. Nowhere in there does that say that a Baptist man brought that. That's what Paul said, unless you want to call Paul a Baptist. He made it very clear. Let me go on. For we must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Oh, Brother Webb, you're bringing me into bondage. No, I'm not. Paul must be, if anybody is, by the Holy Spirit. We have to come to the place where we have the burden of being considered of the weakness and doubts and fears of others, of those who feel these things are wrong. Let's please the other fellow, not ourselves, and do what is for his good, and thus build him up in the Lord. Can you imagine what would happen in the body of Christ if God's people would begin to practice this? There is not enough time to tell you what would happen. God's people began to practice that. But I'll let you just think on that as you go through the week. But it isn't happening yet. 
to the degree that God would have it happen in the United States that hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. I want to declare to you again, this is going to happen within the body of Christ. Whether we're a part of it or not, it's going to happen one way or another. And I, I say that because, first of all, it may become necessary for our survival. Now, I know that over in Vietnam right now, when they go out to worship the Lord or to find some place of fellowship and food spiritually, I'm sure they don't go around and say, uh, is there another Baptist brother in the area? In the prison camps in Cambodia and so forth, I'm sure they don't come up and say, well, now, uh, I'm an Episcopalian. Is another brother around here that I can pray with? I imagine when they get into those survival situations, they just say, do you know the Lord? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to get a hold of God? Do you have any scriptures that we can just share one with another? And by the way, I, I, I'm not one that believes that the United States could not possibly fall. Again, I've said it before. I say it again. Billy Graham's wife said that if God does not judge the United States, as no nation has ever been judged on the face of the earth before, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We have taken more truth and been more enlightened concerning the things of God to where there was no such thing as witchcraft and there was no such thing as the occult in this nation, and now it's beginning to sweep this whole country. If it falls, where are we going to stand? I really believe there'll be people, there'll be a cleansing within the body, and there'll be many, many people who now profess Jesus Christ because it's very convenient will be weeded out in that day because it's going to cost us something. And maybe God's going to have to bring that case of survival to bring us to the place where we begin that horizontal relationship that we love the brethren because we are all in Jesus Christ. And that's the cause for fellowship one with another. I believe that persecution within the body has already started. There are many radio pastors and missionary pastors who have already experienced this where uh, tax exemption is being questioned in so many organizations today. Uh, the FCC is coming against many of them. They're saying that they'd like to cut off any more chance of more Christian stations being started throughout the country. There are enough of them now, and they're competing with the commercial stations and on, on, ad infinitum. And we're just beginning to see it raise its horrible head. And I don't know, this is going to be one possible way that God's going to have to bring the body together to where we may not even have facilities anymore. Wouldn't that be terrible if we don't have our big, glorious buildings anymore? I wonder sometimes when they walk through the churches, we can say that silver and gold we have, we don't have to say silver and gold have we none anymore, but most churches we can't say, neither can we say take up thy bed and walk. And we may have to use the building, lose the buildings in order to be able to say take up thy bed and walk. You know, in the New Testament church, Charles Simpson, I believe, was saying this, that in the New Testament church they didn't have a lot of influence, but they had a lot of power. No, it was Jack Taylor that said that. He said the Southern Baptist Convention today can pretty well, if they get riled, they can turn any governor's face, any congressman or senator's face, if they start a petition, they've got a tremendous amount of influence. But he said we don't have much power. And in the New Testament days, they didn't have much influence, but they sure had a lot of power. When the Apostle Paul would go into town and check out the town to see what, was, what the ministry was going to be like, he didn't go to Holiday Inn, he went to the jail, knowing that that's probably where he'd end up in checking the facilities in the city jail. He didn't have influence, but he had power. And I'm wondering if God's going to have to bring us back to that same position again before we'll do what God tells us to do. I trust not. I do know this, that God will only heat the oven as hot as it needs to be heated in order to get his body to do what he wants him to do and bring glory to his name. Amen? You with me? 
And let's pray that he doesn't have to heat it seven times hotter. But we'll hear him and we'll be obedient to the word. The other thing is, it'll come with maturity. With maturity. Matthew, or Hebrews, the fifth chapter, please. Hebrews chapter 5. It will come with maturity. Hebrews chapter 5 through the sixth chapter, verse 2. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. What Paul is saying here is if you and I cannot sit down and rightly divide the word of God, if we cannot discern one aspect of truth from the other, and we have a difficult time discerning to whom this part of the word is to be applied, that we're spiritual babies. If we can't sit down with the word of God and lead someone to Christ, by opening our Bible and leaping through the Bible from verse to verse and show them how to know Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, we're still spiritual babies. Now, if you've only been saved a year or so, that's understandable. But if you've been saved two years or more, that's not understandable. It's an open book test. And if you're one that still just goes to church on Sunday morning and you wonder why you can't do it, you see, you can't, you're not fulfilling what God desires for your life and mine. We're not growing in the Word of God. I'll assure you, I'm trying to get a small sermonette for Christianettes on Sunday morning because of the time element. On Sunday night, I feel freer because I can teach more. Verse 14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, it might be good for us sometime to look around and see other Christians around us and find out how long they've been saved and kind of compare where do I stand in my knowledge of the Word in comparison to them. I can remember when I was a brand new Christian and these guys would say they'd been saved for 25 years and I think, oh, must be fantastic to have been able to study the Word for 25 years and know all these things. And I'd come around my poor pastor, I, I had, oh, that poor man, the agony that he went through, every time he'd look out the front window, here'd come Joe Webb walking up the sidewalk to get to the door, and he'd know, get ready, you're going to get bombarded with questions. My parents weren't Christian. My family wasn't Christian. I lived uh, like Bonnie did on the other side of the tracks, as they said here this morning. And I, no one that I knew was a Christian. So that poor pastor, I just hounded him to death. In fact, I heard, I heard his wife say one day inside the house, oh no, here comes Joe again. <laughs> I thought, oh, Lord, I don't want to bother him, but, Lord, I've got to get this food. I was hungry. I wish, I, I wish that we had more problem with that within the body today, that more Christians say, you know that new Christian? He was over here again today. He asked me questions I really had to dig in and study. I just didn't know the answer to that, Pastor Joe. So you don't have to come to me, all of you. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. I mean, go to one another and ask questions. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> you'll learn how to be challenged and to grow, won't you, huh? Charles Simpson says when, his, when a new convert comes into the church, he introduces them to one of the men in the church, or if it's a lady, he introduces one of the ladies in the church. And when they come to him for a question, he'll say, go ask them. Go ask them. Knowing that there may be some of them they don't know the answer to, and he says, isn't that terrible? They don't know the answer to it. I'll bet you they'll get it. What would you do if you had one or two people under you that came to you for spiritual food? I know what most people do. Go ask the preacher. No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's how you mature. How do you think I matured? 
People come and ask me questions. This last week, someone came to me and asked me a question about the subject of marriage and divorce. And they said, Pastor Joe, could it possibly be that, that, that where it says shall not inherit the kingdom of God, there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? I said, now that's a valid question. I, I hadn't looked into that. Maybe that's a loophole. I'll search that out. And I went home this week and I got into the Word and I took every verse on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, life and eternal life. I searched them all through and I went back to that person and I said, well, I searched it all out and it's not. There's no difference. In the book of Matthew, they talk about the kingdom of heaven and with the same illustrations in Mark and Luke, they talk about the kingdom of God. Now, I believe that was again because Matthew was written to the Jews and whenever he talked about a kingdom, Jesus wanted to make sure the Jews knew he wasn't talking about the kingdom on earth. So they kept saying, you're going, to, you're, going to you're going to install the kingdom of God right here on earth now? You ready to start that kingdom right now, Lord? And so all the way through Matthew, he kept talking about the kingdom of heaven. When he talked to the Gentiles, he talked about the kingdom of God. Interesting, isn't it? And every time he used life, eternal life, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, in every reference, he was talking about the same thing. For example, in the book of Matthew, he talked about the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like an unto mustard seed. In Mark and Luke, he says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto the king, uh, the kingdom of God is likened unto a mustard seed. And all the way through the same illustrations, but a different phraseology. So I said, no, but you know, that was good for me to have to study that out. So I made sure. Wouldn't it be nice if more Christians would start coming to you and say, what about this? What about that? You say, man, I just haven't got time to look that up. Why don't you go talk to the preacher about it? You know what I'm going to do if they do that? I'm going to say, go back and tell them to study it and get you the answer. Oh, do you know what that's going to do to relationships one with another? Boy, it's getting quiet in here all of a sudden. Chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us what? Say it together. Let us go on under perfection. Say it. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. I want you to notice the steps there. Foundation of repentance from dead works. Second, faith toward God. Third, of the doctrine of baptisms. Fourth, of the laying on of hands. And fifth, of the resurrection of the dead. And sixth, of eternal judgment. Now he says, in other words, let's go on from salvation, water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit, the second coming, and hell. Don't stop there. You know, a lot of people say, "Woo, we got the gifts of the Spirit. Now, hallelujah, glory, we've arrived. No, we haven't. We've just started. That's like a carpenter getting tools and saying, well, I'm an accomplished carpenter now. No, it isn't. It means you've got something to work with now to do a job. Paul's saying here, or the writer of the Hebrews says, with maturity... We will go on with God into a fellowship and a oneness together in Jesus Christ. And if it's God's perfect will for corporate unity, and I believe it is, then we must move toward it if we're going to move with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we don't move toward it, we're not going to be moving with God. And we're not going to be able to know God as we should because that's where He is. We're not going to be able to know the anointing of God in this body as we should if we don't allow this relationship to flow one with another. It's impossible. If that's where God's going and we don't go there, we can't expect the outpouring of God's blessing, to be honest, as we desire to have it. And we're not going to know God's freedom and love as we should 
Now, I hear a lot of talk today about love, but do you know you're not going to really experience the love of God until we're obedient to God? Did you hear me? Oh, I just bathe in the love of God. And I say, are you being obedient to God? I'm just bathing in the love of God. Are you obedient to God? You cannot bathe in the love of God if you're not obedient to God. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He that saith he loved me and keepeth not my commandments is a what? He's a liar, and the truth isn't in him. Don't talk to me about the love of God until I see the obedience of the believer walking in the love of God. You hear me? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And they won't be grievous to you. Now, there have been times in the children's lives when they've been obedient to me, but it was, <laughs> and they do it. They've done it. Hey, you, you parents know what I'm talking about. They're obedient as they slammed the door you told them to close, but not really in the spirit in which we see that the obedience comes. And he said if we really love him, when he says close the door, we don't ask why, how, when, but we just say, thank you for the opportunity to close the door, Father. See what I'm saying? I really think that a lot of the preaching today has had a lot to do with this. And we've got to change that preaching what is it? What's the old song they sang? If you know the Lord, you need nobody else to see you through the darkest night. As a young Christian, I used to say, oh, praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? That's true. You know, that's not true. That's not true. Oh, I know the Lord can see us through the darkest night. But if we're going to be where God is, we need one another to see us through the darkest night too. You say, I just need Christ. Well, Christ is in the believer. Christ is in the body. And it's as we uphold and strengthen and encourage and pray for one another, cast our burdens on one another, share one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ that we begin to know the power of God to sustain us. I hope you know that never will this pastor say that I don't need the prayers of God's body? If you're not praying for me, you're sinning against me. Because I need your prayers constantly that when I speak, that I speak as of the oracles of God. When I minister, I minister with the mind of Christ. I need you. You need me. We need one another. We can no longer say, I can walk it alone. I can go my own way. You may go your own way, but you won't be doing it in obedience to the Word of God. Like I say, this is going to come to us when we come into a place of maturity as Christians. It's either going to come through survival or through our growing spiritually and coming to a place of maturity where we can walk into those doors and say, thank God for another glorious opportunity to share with the body and fellowship with the body and flow with the body and minister to the body and have the body minister to me that we're one in Christ. You hear me? That day is going to come. I really believe with all my heart. I can't go on. I've got to stop. Well, will you give me just a couple more minutes and I can finish up here, please? I have to, just give me a couple more minutes here, please. 
I, I say this, this, this element, if you know the Lord, you need no one else, nobody else, is, is totally anti-scriptural because we really do need one another, but there comes into the lives of many people what we call a spiritual selfishness. Spiritually selfish. We'll say, uh, oh honey, I'm sorry, I'd love to help you with the dishes, or I'd love to help you with this in the house, but I've got to go pray and read the words some more. Honey, I'd love to take care of the kids for this next two hours while you go and get out for a few minutes, but really I've got to be fasting and praying in my room for another couple of hours. And you know, we can come to the place where we can get into what I term spiritual selfishness. To where when we need to be ministering to others, we're either reading to edify ourselves or feeding. And I think that it's good to read and edify and pray and do these things. But I think there's other times when we need to be doing what Jesus tells us to do, not being spiritually selfish. I'm going to build me up and mine up and all that I have so that I'll be that... No, I don't think that's where God says we should go all the time either. We get so busy serving God, this relationship, we forget all about people around us. We get so heavenly minded, as I've said before, we're no earthly good. I see some people walking around with their head in the clouds. I believe it was Bob Mumford had a man come to him one time and talk to him about, said, I want you to counsel with me. He said, will you receive my counseling? He said, yes. He said, well, if you'll receive it, then I'll listen to you. And he started counseling with him, and finally he said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. He's one of these, you know... Glory to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, bless you. I'm going to bless all of you. Where are you? Just let me lay my hands on you, you know. And just, just come around and you'll just feel the glow as I walk by you and my shadow falls on you, you know. Whew, I'm just full. But he had problems. And Bob says, all right, you said you'd accept my counseling. I want you to put your Bible away for three months and quit praying. <laughs> he said, what? He said, well, that's heresy. He said, you know, in most cases that would be heresy, but in that man's case, I didn't think it was heresy. He said, I said, told him, go home and put your Bible away when anybody else is around, put it away, and do nothing but play with your kids and tell your wife you love her and do projects together as a family. Just be one of the family at home for a change. And he thought the man was a heretic for telling him that, but he prayed over the thing and he said, I'll try it, and he put it away, and he began to learn to know his kids. His kids had become strangers to him. His wife, all his wife knew was just to look at the back of a book all the time. Or he was out ministering to the world while they were doing nothing at home. Spiritually selfish. And God ministered to him. I, I, I read this and I thought this was beautiful. It said, someone said, I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but he ran from me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. Did you hear me? I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but he ran from me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. There's a biblical, scriptural truth there for us to learn as a body of believers. Begin to find your brother. Begin to find your sister. Begin to get on a horizontal relationship. You say, well, people don't like me. Then there must be something wrong. Find out what it is and get it straightened out. Because if a person will be friendly, show himself to be friendly, he'll have friends, the Word says. But God's moving that direction. Do we want to go with God? Huh? Well, we can still stand back here 20 years from now and be singing the same courses and clapping our hands and raising our hands. You think there's such a thing as a, well, what do they call it? Dyed-in-the-wool charismatics? Hardline charismatics? I've heard of hardline Pentecostal. They got into a box, crawled into a box, and today 
the danger that we're going to face is, oh, glory to God, look what the Lord's doing, a brand new thing. Let's build four walls around it, build a box, and stay in it. And stay safe and comfortable, you know. Not let the world come in and disrupt this beautiful thing God's doing. No. God's moving that direction. He's bypassing many others. God help us if he doesn't pass us up. Lord, minister this truth to our hearts. For Jesus' sake, minister this truth to our hearts. Make us to understand what you're trying to show us. Give us such a love for one another and such a deep sense of need for one another. For this body right here to love one another and then for us to love those outside the body who may not cross the T like we do or dot the I like we do, but they're genuinely repentant and born again and know what it is to walk in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Cause us to reach out and just let the love of the Spirit flow through us for Jesus' sake. Lord, if there be any here this morning that do not know this relationship to Jesus Christ, they do not know what it is to have their sins forgiven. They've never repented of their sins and asked Christ to come into their heart. And they know if they were to step out of this life right now, they have no assurance of where they'd spend eternity. Cause them to know that Jesus said, I'm come, that they might have life. And if they'll come to me and forsake everything and love me above everything else and give their life to me, I'll give them eternal life. Oh, Father, I know that there's many more in these last days who need to become soldiers of the cross a part of the body of Christ, given to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I pray that none will go away today until that question is settled in their own heart and mind. With every head bowed, may I just ask quickly if there might be someone here this morning who say, Pastor, I've never been genuinely born again of the Spirit of God, and I want Christ as my personal Savior. I need to be saved. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Just let me pray for you. How many here this morning feel that your horizontal relationships are what they ought to be before God and man? Really what they ought to be. Okay. You know what this tells me? This is why God told me to preach this series of messages. How many before God this morning as your witness by the upraised hand say, Pastor, I really desire with all my heart to let my horizontal relationships be what God wants them to be. Can I see your hand? Yes. Praise God. Lord, you said if we draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. And every hand that was raised, I ask in the name of Jesus, that mighty name, that you'll begin to lead us as a people and cause us to be willing to go through the agony of transition to think differently from me or I to we and us and begin to cause this body to sense a love for one another. In Jesus' name we ask it and thank you for it ahead of time because we're expecting it, Lord. And we're expecting in the days ahead we're going to see the promises come true in this body that you've promised us in the prophecies that have come forth. In Jesus' name and for his sake.